Hey, uh, welcome to Rockbridge. Welcome to Chris uh, to Easter at Rockbridge. <laughs> I must say Christmas. Can you believe that? Uh, can you, so we are here, all six physical locations. We've got four locations in uh, northwest Georgia, two in Tennessee, Hickson and Cleveland. So glad that you're here. Some of you watching also online, and we want to welcome you as well. Listen, if you're in one of our six physical locations, there is a Next Step card somewhere near you. We'd love if you'd share, just update your information, ask for information. If you have a prayer need, prayer request, God leads you to make a next step this weekend, please use that. If you're online, you are welcome to use the chat function, and Pastor Mark uh, will be happy to help you with that. Hey, I want to kick us off by asking you a question. It's kind of a duh, no duh type question. It's not a trick question, but the question is this, do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? Don't answer it right now. Let's think about it for just a minute. Do you really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And that, that's like an important question. It, it's, it's usually important, but I, I have like a fear and an invitation around this question. I have a fear and I have an, a, and an invitation around this question. We put, especially in the West, especially in America, we put a lot of stock in what we believe. And, and so, you know, you're here at Easter. Yeah, I believe in the resurrection. Some of you, let's just be honest, you're here because of tradition, because of the calendar, because somebody invited you, and the whole dead guy raising from the uh, raising, rising again to new life. You're not so sure about that, and that's a fair place to be. And we'll speak to some of that as well. But when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to Easter, don't stop with belief. There's something beyond belief. There, there's something more that God wants, that God invites us into beyond and besides just believing the facts of history and the facts of the resurrection from the dead. So don't stop with belief. To illustrate this, I want to show you a video. This is the last 300 meters of a women's 3,000 meter race. This time, 300 to go. Crummins the only one going with these two. Melissa Courtney has worked herself onto the front of that chasing pack. Katie Mackey also in there, but now it looks as though Crimmins is starting to close back down on the leading two. Just five meters. Oh, work who stopped? Why on earth has she stopped? I think she thought that was the finish line. Seven laps. Oh, what a shame. The 19-year-old just absolutely stopped. That was very bizarre. I've never seen that before. So she was winning? And she stopped. So a couple of things from that video. You can say anything and get away with it with a British accent. I'm convinced of that. Uh, but it, the guy said, what on earth was she thinking? And, and I, I think for some of us, if all we think about if, with Christianity and, and Easter is, hey, just believe in the facts. We're going to be like that runner who was running and was going to get the prize, but stop short of the prize. And there's something beyond just believing the facts of Easter. There's something on it. Yeah, belief sort of gets you in the race, but it doesn't get you to the finish line, to the prize, or to the best part. And, and so when it comes to Christianity, hear me, belief is not the best part, nor the only part of Christianity. Yet if, if a lot of us are honest this, this weekend, this Easter, some of us, I, I believe in Easter is that not enough? Is that not what we're supposed to do? That's the whole John 3.16 thing, right? Well, there's some differences in Greek belief and English belief, but I want us to press in because there's something better than just believing some facts about Jesus Christ. 
So if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to follow along, open them up, turn them on, or follow along with me. We'll be in the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. We'll begin reading in the last part of chapter 27. Matthew's going to kind of work parallel paths. Path one is he's going to want to establish for us, yes, you can believe that a dead man came back to life. He he wants us to believe it historically, objectively, and factually. And then secondly, Matthew's going to show us by way of different reactions to Jesus what is better than belief. And in that, we'll get the concern that we pull up short like our 3,000-meter runner or we press on to the prize of what's better than belief. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27. We'll start in verse 57. When it was evening, so this is on Good Friday after Jesus has died, a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph came who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. Very important word in Matthew's gospel, disciple. That means someone who's a student of, someone who is devoted to and learning from Jesus Christ. He approached Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Then Pilate ordered that it be released. So Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean, fine linen, and placed it in his new tomb, which he had cut into the rock. And the reason that's significant is because we need to know where the body of Jesus was placed. He was not dumped in some mass grave like was common after Roman executions or Roman crucifixions. He was not put in an unmarked grave. He was placed in a known location by a tomb owned by one of his disciples, Joseph of Arimathea. He left after rolling a great stone against the entrance of the tomb, so there's a barrier between the tomb and the rest of the, and outside. And then we have two ladies, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, who were seated there facing the tomb. So we have two eyewitnesses at least that see the body of Jesus placed into this known marked tomb. The next day, which followed the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, so Matthew now is going to talk about a different reaction to Jesus a different concern about Jesus. And so the religious leaders get together with the political military leader Pontius Pilate and they said, Sir, we remember that while this deceiver was still alive, he said, After three days I will rise again. Jesus predicted his death and he predicted he would rise again on the third day. So give orders now that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples... His students, people devoted to him, seeking to learn how to live their life from him, may come, steal him, and then tell all the people he has been raised from the dead. And the last deception will be worse than the first. They're concerned about a resurrected Jesus. They have reason to be concerned about that. Whether it's a rumor or reality, they have a problem with it. So Pilate says, take guards, go and make it as secure as you know how. So they went and secured the tomb by setting a seal on the stone and placing the guards. The seal of Rome, the seal of the governor that should not be broken. And they probably placed a garrison, about 16 soldiers who would rotate in shifts of four to guard the tomb of Jesus. And when we see something emerging in the reaction of these religious leaders, and that's this, that a resurrected Jesus creates a problem. Now, I want to be honest. Again, 
I know we're here and it's Easter and I know we said, you know, a lot of us believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Some of us may have questions, but for all of us, let me just keep it real. There is a problem with the resurrected Jesus. There's a problem. I've had this problem. I still have this problem with a resurrected Jesus. You have this problem, and, and these chief priests, they had this problem as well. The problem with the resurrected Jesus is this, authority. Because if he rose from the dead, his words have weight now. His commands have credibility He has been validated and verified to be who he said and claimed he was, the Son of God. He has authority now to actually forgive sin. He has authority in judgment. He has authority over morality, over sexuality. Everything he said in the Sermon on the Mount about marriage, about anger, everything he said about how we treat people, everything now has weight and credibility and authority. And if Jesus has that kind of authority, it can infringe upon our authority, our power, our independence, our self-will. So I have that problem with the resurrected Jesus. I hope you can see you can sometimes too. And certainly our chief priests and religious leaders did as well. We go back to the tomb now on, after the Sabbath, Matthew 28 As the first day of the week was dawning, so now we're on Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. They had seen the body placed into the tomb, so we're going to the known location, the known grave. And there was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men, just sort of frozen in their tracks. And the angel told the women, don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus. And the angel reminds us of a hugely important fact uh, for Jesus who was crucified. So we know a couple of things. This word crucified is important because it tells us how he died. And and crucifixion was brutal. No one ever survived crucifixion. You couldn't fake your own death. Uh, Crucifixion was that brutal. So we know that he died physically. And then this word and the choice of word in the Greek comes in a tense that tells us the crucifixion of Jesus has a lasting effect. It's similar to like July 4, 1776. That's a date in history that has a lasting, enduring effect. So the crucifixion of Jesus is designed by God to have a lasting and enduring effect. And what is that effect? We we get that mainly from other parts of the New Testament. The book of Romans tells us this. Every one of us have sinned. We fall short of God's purpose, fall short of the glory of God. But and we are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Justification is a legal term to make us right in God's sight even though we are sinners. And that came through something Jesus accomplished. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood at the crucifixion to be received by faith. And He did this to demonstrate His own righteousness, to demonstrate God's justice. So God can forgive sinners and maintain His own holiness, integrity, and justice because the payment of that sin was accomplished at the crucifixion of Jesus. And when the, the barrier of our sin and sinfulness is removed 
Now Jesus can do something else with us. Colossians tells us what? For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, the authority of darkness. Do you know when you are the dominant authority of your life or society is the dominant authority in your life or even Satan is the dominant authority of your life, eventually you will end up in darkness. You know, I, I told you I have a problem with Jesus' authority. Let me be real. I have a problem with my own authority. Nobody has hurt Matt Evans more than Matt Evans. Nobody has lied to Matt Evans, done dumb things against my self-interest more than I have. There's been times in my life where I thought something would make me happy. And we're told as Americans, man, do what makes you happy. And here I'm here to tell you what made me happy later on made me miserable. I'm not a good authority over my own life. Certainly my sin is not, certainly society is not, certainly Satan is not. But the crucifixion of Jesus can rescue us from those dominions, dominion means authority, of darkness and bring us into the kingdom, the authority of the Son He loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So when the angel says, Jesus who was crucified, the effects of the crucifixion are, I am justified from my sins and my sinfulness. The justice of God is upheld. And I now have the ability to be rescued, transferred out from under the dominions of darkness and placed underneath the authority of the kingdom of the Son of God. Back to the angel. So he was crucified. But then the angel says the news, the news that's brought us here today, right? He is not here for he has risen just as he said. That's important. So now the words of Jesus have weight, have credibility, have authority. What Jesus taught matters as truth, as authoritative, as part of his kingdom. Come and see the place where he lay. Witness the empty tomb. What's the angel doing? What's Matthew showing us? Now we have eyewitnesses. Do you know how something gets proven in history? Through eyewitnesses. Do you know how they put stuff in your kid's social studies textbook about George Washington, Alexander the Great, Genghis Khan, Abraham Lincoln? Because eyewitnesses. What is Matthew establishing? We have eyewitnesses account of an empty tomb. We have eyewitness accounts of a resurrected Jesus. So come and see the place where he lay. Then go and quickly tell his disciples, for he, has risen from the he had risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So the women depart quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples, his students, the news. And just then, Jesus meets them. And he says, greetings. And they came and took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. They didn't believe, just believe in him. They didn't just believe in some facts about him. They fall down, place of honor and submission to his authority, his value, his worth, and they worship him. And then Jesus tells them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. Now we start to get a picture of getting past just belief. Now we start to get a picture of what it means to push past belief, not pull up too soon and say, hey, I believe in Easter. I believe in the whole Christmas thing. 
we get a picture of what Matthew's taking us through. Here's what it looks like. First, we have verified truth. Eyewitness accounts to an empty tomb. Eyewitness accounts to a resurrected Jesus. Later, that number will grow to over 500 people who saw Jesus raised from the dead after he'd been crucified, after he'd been placed in the tomb. So we can sit here and say, hey, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. I believe in that. Amen. No, but we don't stop there. That's pulling up short. We're not reaching the prize. What do the women do? The women put a value on it. They appraise, you know, appraisal is you in your mind determining what something or someone is worth. Is it worth time, devotion, money, energy? Is it worth following or not following? Is it worth paying attention to or not? So they appraise that Jesus Christ is worthy of worship and obedience. Now listen, you can believe in something, but not believe it as worthy of your time or consideration. You can believe that you, you can leave out of here and pass, I don't know how many restaurants on your way, and you never have to stop at those restaurants. Yeah, I believe it's a restaurant, I believe they serve food, but I'm not interested in their food. You can do that to Jesus too. Yes, you believe, but there's something past that belief. And that brings us to the invitation. And the invitation is to follow Jesus, to do what Jesus says, to value him, worship him, and obey him. Interestingly, in the Gospels, we get the phrase, believe in me or believe in Christ five times. We get the phrase, follow Jesus, follow me 20 times. There's something past belief, following, obeying, worshiping, valuing, prizing Jesus. Now we flip back and we get some other characters in the story and something amazing happens. This is verse 11. As they were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. I have that highlighted for a reason. Everything that had happened. So what did they tell the chief priests? What did they say? They had to talk about the earthquake. The stone got rolled away. Jesus is no longer there. An angel is at least saying something to the effect that he is risen. Some women heard it, and they've gone off to tell people. that some, so These guards, these, these chief priests, they're getting facts about Jesus. They're getting facts that you and I know about Jesus. They're hearing the truth about the resurrection. Now, did they fully believe it? I don't know. But they're hearing everything that's happened. So the chief priests, though, assembled with the elders, and they agreed upon a plan. And they gave the soldiers a large sum of money and told them, Say this, his disciples came during the night and stole him while we were sleeping. Now, why do they do that? Because they have a problem with the authority of Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You can concoct your own belief system to do something with Jesus that minimizes his lordship in your life. You can do something with Jesus and concoct a belief system that allows you to keep sinning and keep doing life your own way. But you're pulling short of the prize. You're pulling short of the finish line of what's best and what's better than just believing in Jesus. He says this, Now, if it reaches the governor's ears, we'll deal with him and keep you out of trouble. Because if a Roman guard fell asleep on duty, they could be killed. If a Roman guard let someone escape who was under their protection, they could also be killed. So you can see the soldiers are like, whoa. They're like, we'll take care of the governor. They took the money and they did as they were instructed. And this story has been spread 
among Jewish people to this day. And we have actual historical accounts 200 years later, past the 100, 200 years later, of this story being propagated in certain circles. So here's the crazy thing that Matthew's just told us. The guards and religious leaders believed something happened beyond what happened on Good Friday. They believed something happened to the body of Jesus. They believed something happened to the giant stone around the tomb of Jesus. They had heard an angel and seen the reaction of these women that maybe, just maybe, Jesus actually did rise from the dead. But here's the question. Were these guards and chief priests and leaders, were they Christians? See, some of us, yeah, that's a Christian. Someone who believes in Jesus. Well, they believe the truth, maybe, or part of the truth. The tomb's empty. Maybe he rose. Not sure. So they believe some facts, but did they view him as worthy? No. The bribe was more worthy to them than the actual truth of a resurrected Jesus. Have any of us ever put... Money ahead of Jesus, popularity ahead of Jesus, sex ahead of Jesus, power ahead of Jesus, what people think of us ahead of Jesus, social status ahead of Jesus. Have any of us put anything ahead of Jesus but said we believed in Jesus? There's something better than belief in Jesus, which is why we get this invitation 20 different times, follow me, follow me. You see, the temptation is this, right? I can believe in a Jesus that does not disrupt, interfere, interrupt my life or my lifestyle. I can devise a plan, develop just my own little system, as long as it keeps Jesus far enough away that he doesn't interfere with me and my deal, which is what the guards and the chief priests did. And I can relate to that at times. So I ask you this question at this point in the story. Who do you identify most with? Joseph and the women, later the 11, followers of Jesus, devoted to Jesus. If you looked at their, their, their bank accounts, if you looked at their time, if you looked at their ethics, if you looked at what they, pat, what they value, what they, what they adore, Jesus would be at the top of the list. Or maybe you identify more with the guards and the religious leaders. Maybe you've got some belief, but there's no evidence, no desire to value, worship, obey, submit, honor, put your life, the steering wheel of your life in the hands of King Jesus. And you and I, when we do that, and people, when they do that, what are we doing? We're stopping short of what's best. We're stopping short of the prize of Easter. Now, I'll share with you some signs or symptoms that maybe you are just stopping at belief. Just belief. I believe the facts. I agree with the facts. I believe most of the facts. But you're stopping short, like our lady runner in that 3,000-meter race. Here's some signs. You feel like life is constantly threatening, that everything you hold dear can be taken away from you, that your source of identity, your source of happiness and security and acceptance just feels fragile, just feels fragile. And the truth be told is, if, it's, if, if, if your source of identity, approval, and joy, and happiness is anything but Jesus, it is fragile. It can get put in a tomb. It can get crucified, but it doesn't get resurrected. 
And, and another sign that you're stopping short of belief is inconsistent joy. Like your joy is so tied to your circumstances or so tied to situations or what other people say or what other people do. It's inconsistent. It's not like the ladies who saw Jesus and they were filled with great joy and great fear. And then third, there's th- the third is there's a sense in your life that there has to be something more. There has to be something more than money or popularity. There has to be something more than whatever dream you are or have been chasing. There has to be something more than what you thought you know, was great and what you valued five years ago or five months ago. There has to be something more, and there is. And see, your soul and my soul is wired to stand in awe of something, someone. Your soul and my soul is wired to worship someone worthy of your worship. So I want you to listen to this video. And this is of a man who's arguably the greatest football player of all time. Take a look. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. And what else is there for me? What's the answer? I wish I knew. So our world would say he has it all, right? Millions, millions, maybe billions of dollars. MVPs, Super Bowls. In his profession, you can't get any higher. You can't get any better. Probably most of the records he has, many of them will never be broken or they'll stand for an awful long time. And what's he saying? He's talking from his soul. I appreciate his transparency. There's got to be something more. I've got to be made for more than this. And what's the answer? I have no idea. That's the cry of a soul that can only be answered. Just like the women, when Jesus appeared and said, Greetings, and they fell at his feet and worshiped him. Because in seeing the resurrected Jesus, they saw, they found the one. Their soul, my soul, and your soul was designed by our Creator to stand in awe of, worship, draw life from, draw meaning from, draw identity from, and move forward in following Him, the resurrected Jesus. So have you stopped short of the prize of Easter? You can believe the facts and still lose the race. So Matthew concludes with the great invitation. A great invitation. Listen to how he says it. He says, the 11 disciples. I want you to notice that Matthew never uses the word believers. He goes past belief. Disciples don't just believe, they're devoted to, and they're learning from Jesus. So the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped. But some doubted. So they're not perfect. There's no such thing as perfect faith. There's no such thing as having your act together when you come to Jesus. You just come to Jesus. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority, there's our word, right? What the chief priest, what Matt Evans at times has problems with, 
Jesus' authority, even though it's trustworthy and good, but all authority, he says, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make believers. Now make disciples. Make people who are hungry for more, and they see more in the face of Jesus Christ. They see salvation in Christ, identity in Christ, purpose in Christ. They receive joy and meaning from Christ. Make students of all the nations. God's making a multi-ethnic family. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you because I have all authority about what it means to be a human being made in the image of God redeemed by the blood of the Son of God who was raised to life. And then Jesus says, and remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. What's better than believing in Jesus? Following Him. Being His disciple. That's what's better. That's the prize. That's the finish line. Wherever you are in the race, Don't stop short of the full invitation to follow Christ as his student and his disciple. Now, I want to be honest with you, okay? I'm going to share some reasons that that you need to consider, I need to consider. Jesus always said, count the cost. Sometimes I've been to church services and the pastor's like manipulating people to pray a prayer, manipulating people to raise their hand, check a box, manipulating people to get baptized, okay? I don't want to do that. I want to give you the full facts and the full truth. So some things to consider when you follow Jesus, if you're going to follow Jesus, okay? Consideration number one, following Jesus does not mean perfection, but it does mean a new direction, a new direction for your life, a new direction for you. But it does not mean perfection. You don't have it all together. It says they worshiped, but some doubted. It's okay to come, but you come just as you are. But your life will move in a new direction. Be ready to see your sin for what it is. And your sin killed Jesus, and my sin killed Jesus, and Jesus is going to want to work on those sins with you. Be ready for that. So you can't come with self-righteousness. You can't come thinking you're good enough. You come sin and all to Jesus. Your comfort zone when you follow Jesus is where Jesus is, and where Jesus is taking you. Your comfort zone is not your lifestyle. Your comfort zone is not a certain life expectancy. Your comfort zone is not defined by your income. Your comfort zone is not defined by who, how many likes you have on social media. Your comfort zone becomes where Jesus is and where Jesus is taking you. You will have to leave some things behind to follow Jesus. You will have to let go of some things. You will also have to unlearn some things. Because all of us are disciples of something. We've all been discipled about marriage, about sex, about money, about pride, about, about how to, where our identity comes from, what makes a man a man, what makes a woman a woman. When you follow Jesus, you'll have to unlearn and you'll realize, wow. And sometimes it's, wow, the way my family did it was not the way of Jesus. Sometimes it'll be, wow, the way the world looks at this is not the way of Jesus. And you have to be willing to unlearn that. And Jesus will be with you, but you have to be willing to unlearn that. 
If you're going to follow Jesus, you have to be willing to accept his word and willing to submit to it and obey. And you won't always understand it. And sometimes it'll be weird and scary. But his words have authority. But his heart is full of love for you because he died instead of you when he was crucified. You will never graduate from that love. In fact, I would call his love amazing and addicting. I became a Christ follower when I was eight years old. In the last year of my life, I have probably learned more about the love of Jesus than in the previous 40, 39 of following Jesus. It's amazing, it's addicting, and I never graduate from the amazing love of King Jesus. All hail King Jesus. And then your heart, when you follow Jesus, and your soul have a true north. I think there's a lot of people in our world today, probably a lot of people here today, you don't have a true north. You just sort of move around. And, and sometimes you feel disoriented, sometimes you feel confused. Listen, I feel sometimes disoriented, I feel sometimes confused. But when I know true north is following Jesus, when life hits me and turns me off, when I get off kilter, off course, when I fall down and by God's grace he picks me up, I know where true north is. It's following Jesus. It's the best part of being a Christian, Christian and a Christ follower. Some of you, you're, you're here today, and, and you would say, if you and I had a private personal conversation, you would say, Matt, I'm a follower, but I have lost my way, but I hear the voice of God calling me back, and I'm here to follow Jesus, and you have that invitation. Some of you here, you know right now you are not a Christ follower. But you are seeing an image emerge as the Holy Spirit speaks to you right now. That Jesus is your true north. That Jesus is your why. That Jesus gives you a who, who tells you who you are. He is true north. He's the one. Your soul, your heart, your mind, your life is designed by your creator to stand in awe of and follow him. And then when you follow Jesus, when you follow in Jesus, the best is yet to come. There is a hope that cannot be touched by the world, found only in King Jesus. So the best part of being a Christ follower, the best part of being a Christian is not believing, it's following. So there's a simple question. You know, I love it in church. It's always, have you been baptized? Have you prayed the prayer? Did you go to confirmation class when you were a certain age? Are you in church? Right now, none of those questions matter because they're meaningless. Meaningless unless we can answer yes to the question I'm about to answer. And the question I'm about to ask, there's no ambiguity in the question. It's the genius of Jesus using it 20 times in the Scriptures. Are you following Jesus, yes or no? Are you following Jesus, yes or no? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray? Holy Spirit, I just ask you to have your way in all of us. 
Holy Spirit, I believe there's people here today. Truth be told, they're not Christians. They're not following. But they hear the invitation. Their heart's hungry for Jesus. And I pray their faith is being activated as they say yes to you, Jesus. Yes to you, Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. Yes, Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. Yes, Jesus, you rose again. But yes, Jesus, you are worth following. So as best I know how, Jesus, I am going to give you my sins and the steering wheel of my life. I say yes to Jesus. Holy Spirit, I also believe there's people here, and they've just gotten off track. Maybe they're aimless. Maybe they're lost, fallen down, confused, disoriented. But today, true north has been illuminated, and they see that they left Jesus years ago, months ago, weeks ago, days ago. But today they hear your voice, Jesus, and you're calling them back to once again resume in repentance and faith, trust and excitement to resume following you, King Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you just have your way? Have your way with the invitation to follow King Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.